Strokeside Designs is a New York-based fine jewelry company focused on water sports. This is the best jewelry I have found through many years of searching. I love my Dragon Boat Paddle Heart earrings and my pendant. The jewelers at Strokeside Designs have worked for famous jewelry houses such as Tiffany & Company and Cartier. All of the pieces are hand-finished from fine materials. Express your passion for kayaking, canoeing, and dragon boating. Visit PaddleJewelry.com and get free shipping with the code PINK. That is PaddleJewelry.com and enter the code PINK. Are you a dragon boat athlete? Have you ever thought about joining a team? Hornet Water Sports makes high-performance, lightweight, carbon fiber dragon boat paddles. You can choose from one of their many graphic designs. Don't settle for just a boring black paddle. I love their design so much that I have four different paddles. They also have all of the dragon boat accessories that you need, paddle bags, tip covers, tape, and more. Visit their website at hornetwatersports.com and enter the code PINK at checkout to receive 10% off of your order. That's hornetwatersports.com and enter the code PINK. Thanks for downloading. If you have not yet checked out my book, Behind the Pink Ribbon, please do. You can find it on Amazon and Amazon Kindle. If you want to purchase through me, you can also send me an email at podcast at behindthepinkribbon.com. On this episode, Jennifer Kaiser joined us in the podcast studio to share her breast cancer story. She was diagnosed in August of 2018 at the age of 31 with stage three triple positive inflammatory breast cancer. She shares her story of being diagnosed with a rare and aggressive form of breast cancer, her treatments and her support system. Take a listen in. Welcome to Behind the Pink Ribbon, where we share stories, information, and other content related to breast cancer. My name is Melissa Adams. I am a 12-year genetic breast cancer survivor. I've learned so much through my own journey with breast cancer. I have met some amazing people along the way, many that have become lifelong friends. I have experienced the emotional roller coaster of a breast cancer diagnosis, heartache, anger, frustration, loneliness, and even gratitude. Through this podcast, we will speak to breast cancer survivors, supporters, and healthcare professionals to gain insight and understanding behind the pink ribbon. We're here today with Jennifer Kaiser. Jennifer was diagnosed with stage 3B inflammatory cancer in August of 2018 at the age of 31. And Jennifer um, is from Eugene, Oregon, but currently resides in Gilbert, Arizona. So thanks for coming into the podcast studio today. We're so excited to have you here. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Um, so tell me a little bit about your diagnosis, um, how you kind of figured out something was wrong. Um you know, how did that all start for you? So I had just gotten out of the shower and I felt just heaviness and I thought something was weird. And so um, I just Googled how to do a self-exam. And um, once I did that, then I felt it wasn't a lump. Um, it was felt like hard tissue. Um, so just decided to go in and talk to the doctor about it. And so um, a week later, I went in and she, uh, the doctor said, well, don't worry about it. I think it's just um, dense breast tissue. That's kind of what they usually say when young women go in to, you know, have that conversation. So up to this point, you had never, ever done a self-breast exam. No. And But there was something in your mind that made you think, 
maybe I just need to to kind of do this and see if there is something there or yeah um because one of my um friends one of my sister's friends had lost somebody to breast cancer and so it was in the back of my mind but I never really thought anything of it um but the heaviness I was I just felt like something was wrong and just wanted to make sure better be safe than sorry and was it painful or just just heavy just heavy at that point um and then when I saw the doctor um there was still no pain um but very heavy um and so she's just like okay well let's just do let's just rule it out right so well, I I'm went, glad that she said, let's just rule it out, even though she said it's probably just dense tissue yes. because there might be a tendency sometimes to just, you know, leave it at that. Um, so I'm glad that, you know, she was at least on the page of ruling it out first. Yes. Yes. So, okay. Um, and where was it kind of concentrated? Like where was the, the, you know, I know you said it wasn't a lump, but was it like the whole breast that felt heavy or like, could you feel anything when you did the exam? I, there was like a lobular type mass, um, but there was no edges. There was no defined lump whatsoever. Okay. okay. You just had to f- something on one side felt off. Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so then they, um, did they at then that point send you for a diagnostic mammogram? Was that kind of the... Yeah, so I wasn't worried about it, so I was still working at the time, and so I decided to schedule it um, a couple weeks later when it worked for me. Um, So what happened was I started to develop pain. It was sharpshooting pain. So right then and there, I dropped everything I was doing, went and called um, the doctor, and they got me in the very next day. Oh, wow. Um, So it was a Friday and so then um, once they saw the ultrasound, not, yeah, the ultrasound and the mammogram, they saw it all together. Um, they immediately jumped on it and said I needed a biopsy right away. So within a couple hours, the doctor had called me um, because she just, she saw how aggressive this was and wanted to get it going. Okay. Right and away. they could, they could see that from... The mammogram and the ultrasound, like how did they, how were they able to tell that it was so aggressive? So my left, my left axilla was enlarged. It was like a 2.9 centimeters. Um, and then my right was starting to enlarge. Um, so they were nervous that it was in both sides at the time. Okay. Wow. So you did the, the biopsy pretty quickly after and then, um, Tell me a little bit about that. I mean, there's, you know, so there's, when we think about biopsy, we think about going in and um, targeting a lump. So basically, you're just kind of telling them, I mean, were they able to pick up something on the mammogram, I guess is, let me start there. (laughs) Yes. Okay. So they found three masses. Okay. One was four centimeters, another was three centimeters, and another was two centimeters. So... um, what happened was they just, um, the ducks got, what's the word? They, uh, the cancer cells just invaded the ducks okay. and then just spread out into very large masses very quickly. Okay. Wow. 
Um, so then at that point, were you able to feel kind of lumps or bumps or anything? I mean, were you able to feel anything? There was a difference. Okay. But how it felt wasn't like a normal, like marble or right. or anything like that. It was more um, like hard tissue. Like okay. there's a difference in the tissue and right. that's what I could tell. Okay. So then they went in and they were targeting those specific masses for the biopsy. Now, did they take tissue from each of those masses or just one? <laughs> so they did two masses. Um, so you took samples from two of those, and then they took samples from my left axilla and my right axilla. Okay. So I had four biopsies. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, just the... My recollection of the biopsy was not a great experience. So I can't imagine having to do that four different times. Yes, I felt like a pincushion, that's for sure. I'm sure you did. Yeah. Um, so how soon after you had the biopsy did they kind of give you the news? And who gave you that news? So my surgeon, once she saw the biopsies, um, she actually had pathology go in over the weekend. And they, by Monday, I was getting my port in place. Oh, wow. Yeah. It I mean, was that's a really very, fast turnaround. Very quick. So did you have the surgeon kind of set up before or was, I mean, how did the, you said the surgeon was the one that kind of, you know, contacted you and had everything kind of going. So did they, did they get that set up for you? Did you kind of proactively have a surgeon so my uh, general doctor referred me right away over okay. to um, MD Anderson in uh, Gilbert, and they contacted me, and then I met with the surgeon, and then um, she's the one that got everything going and rolling. Okay. Um, she was very knowledgeable in inflammatory breast cancer, so as soon as she saw me, she knew what it was. Um, she recognized redness on the outside that I had never even seen so she's, you know, said, we just need to get this going as fast as we can. Okay. Because it developed within two weeks. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. When they talk about, um, you know, young women specifically, it does tend to be very aggressive. Um, so it is, I mean, obviously for anybody at any age, you know, getting it out fast is important, but um, for young women, for whatever reason it is, and I, I don't know, um, it just is super aggressive um, and tends to grow much faster. So. And with inflammatory, it tends to attack younger women for whatever reason. Okay. Not surely, not sure why, but right. So it's and good it's good to be aware. Yeah, and it's rare. So, uh, what percentage, if you know, what percentage of um, women are impacted by inflammatory? One to five percent. Okay. So that is a very small, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, so, you know, one of the things that I have heard in the past in terms of the inflammatory is that many people do kind of recognize the redness, but you didn't even see that at the beginning. It was really just kind of that heaviness. Yes. Okay. And uh, warm, the warmth came. Um, and so I literally caught it the earliest that I could possibly catch it, which is stage 3B. Okay. Is um, with inflammatory. Unfortunately, it's only three B, three C, and stage four. Wow. Okay. That's um. I didn't know that. I didn't realize that that was just kind of an automatic 
It's an automatic thing. Starting at a stage three. Yeah, which is, it's a hefty, that's hefty. It's not, you know, I mean, that, that's, I, yeah, I didn't have that information. I didn't know that. Wow. So you did the, the port you said pretty quickly after. Um, so that means you did chemo. So tell me a little bit about your course of treatment. Um, so the first thing that I did was chemo. So I did four rounds of AC. And then after that, I was planning to do 12 Taxol, but they decide, my oncologist decided to change it. Um, she wanted to get even more aggressive. And then so I ended up doing TCHP. Okay. And I did five rounds of that with heavy dosage. Okay. And was that like once every two weeks or because it's it was a heavier dosage, did they kind of spread it out more or? Yes. So okay. it was uh, every three weeks, thankfully. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And how did chemo go for you? So, you know, everybody's kind of different in terms of the side effects that they experience. Um, so what were some of the things that you experienced? Um, so I got neuropathy in my hip, which was uncommon. Um, so she was going to have me do two more. So I was supposed to do seven, but decided not to, um, because the neuropathy, I was hard for me to walk around. Mm -hmm. Um, and then just, you know, fatigue. Um, but other than that, I think I handled it pretty well considering Mm -hmm. the amount that I was getting. Right. Right. And the neuropathy for anybody that's listening and doesn't know what neuropathy is, um, that's kind of the numbness um, and that, you know, and I've heard more of it being like related to a limb, um, you know, your arm or your leg or your foot, um, but you had it in your hip. So, yeah, I would imagine that would be hard for you to walk around. (laughs) Yeah. Every time I got up, I got like sharpshooting pain. So I went on some, they gave me some medication and was able to manage it from there and then as soon as chemo was done it was all chemo induced and it went away oh good so, yeah yeah <laughs> awesome so then um what happened after the chemo um what did you what was the next step in your treatment so about four weeks later i did a bilateral mastectomy okay um so with inflammatory you don't get the option as far as um to do reconstruction either so why is that they want to make sure that it doesn't, there's no reoccurrence. Okay. So the reoccurrence rate is, uh, for me right now, is 60%. That's high. Yeah. Okay. And does reconstruction have something to do with that? Like it, does it, um, is there a tendency for somebody with inflammatory who has reconstruction to have higher risk? Is that why they? Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yes. That's, um, I mean, that's scary. That's great. So what are you, what, what options do you have? Um, so in one, they recommend at least waiting one year for reconstruction and it's the deep flap. Okay. So taking your, um, stomach tissue and transferring mm-hmm. it up. Okay. Yeah. So, and then, you know, you've, you were diagnosed in August of 2019. So is that kind of what you opted for to do? Yes, I do plan on doing reconstruction, um, just because I am so young and fortunately I'm not the type of person to be okay with staying flat. Some people are, I'm yeah. just not. <laughs> yeah. And that's, you know, I think the, um, you know, one of the things that we really want to, you know, kind of 
keep harping on here, I suppose, within the podcast is just that everybody has individual choices and what's right for one person isn't right for the next person. And that's okay. It doesn't mean that it's right or it's wrong, um, but you have to know where you are, you know, and I was in that same space where I couldn't, I wasn't okay with it, um, you know, and so I did opt for the reconstruction as well. So, um, so when will you have that part of it completed? Um, so I'm looking at about 2021. Okay. Just to, yeah. Kind of get out of the clear in terms of some other things. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I've surpassed the um, early reoccurrence, um, which I believe is six months on that. Um, okay. So, yeah. Good. Good. Well, I'm, you know, every, every milestone is definitely a celebration. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, so then you had... Um, additional therapy after that. So you did the bilateral mastectomy and then um, what came after that? So I did six weeks of radiation um, and then that's, the radiation is different um, because they do, um, they want to get the radiation into the skin because part of inflammatory breast cancer is it gets into the skin. Right. So they need to target not only the chest wall and the lymph nodes, but also the skin. So um they, it's called a bolus, and um, so skin reactions are, they come pretty quickly, um, but yeah. Okay, and you recently finished that up. Yes. <laughs> um, so that's that's awesome. Yes. Um, so what were some of the um, side effects that you had from that? Mostly fatigue, um, okay. and then I was given some like burn cream to help with the healing and process and all of that. So Okay. Yeah. Again, you know, everybody's so different where I've seen photos of women that have, you know, significant burns. And then some of us, you know, I was, I'd consider myself one of the lucky ones, but, I, you know, I was just a little pink. It just looked like I had spent a little too much time outside in the sun on my breast area. Yeah. <laughs> uh, within those very well-defined <laughs> tattoo marks. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, okay. And then, so in terms of the inflammatory, so do they also test for like the estrogen and progesterone positive, the HER2, do they do all of that as well? Yes. Okay. Yes, yes. And were you positive for any of those? Yes, that's positive for all of them. Okay. So triple positive. Triple positive. Okay. And so does that change anything in terms of the the treatment at all? Um, just maybe a little bit more aggressive? Yeah. So I was put on to um, hormone therapy. Um, and I also do, so that the hormone therapy is the Herceptin and Progetta. And then I also get a shot. Um Zolodex shot. Okay. Um, I get that every three months. And then I'm also on um, another hormone blocker, anastrozole. Okay. To make sure that it's all blocked. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> for sure. And then, um, so is there any family history? Did they do any kind of genetic testing with you at all? They did, and it all came back negative. Okay, okay. So no... Nobody else in your family had ever had breast cancer or just maybe they haven't found, I mean, there, I, in my opinion, I feel like there are so many genes that are still out there that have yet to be discovered. Yeah. Um, so any kind of history in your family at all? No. Okay. Nothing. I'm the first. 
Okay. So my daughter will um, now she'll start getting screened at 21, which I'm not opposed to. No, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, you know, that's that's kind of the hard thing is, you know, we think about, um, you know, children, right? Like you were 31 when you were diagnosed. And so what does that mean for your child? And, um, you know, even though there's not a genetic mutation, there has to be something in place so that we're catching younger you know, younger, younger women, because it's happening. And even though it's still kind of that rare instance, it's still really important. So I'm glad that, you know, she will, um, at the age of 21, get checked. How old is she? She's eight. She's eight. Okay. And so how did she kind of deal with all of this? Like, what was her understanding of, you know, kind of what mommy was going through? Um, at first, she didn't really understand, um, and it was hard for me to talk about it or let alone even say the word cancer to her because um, I just didn't want her going to school and then somebody saying, oh, your mommy has cancer. Yeah. Um, so um, I actually reached out to a therapist, and they helped guide me through that process. Um, they gave me a book. Um, I don't remember the name of the book, but – um, I read the book. I was in tears <laughs> because it was so hard. And she's like, mommy, it's okay. It's Aww. okay. And so, yeah, she's, she's been my rock yeah. through it all. Um, she's amazing. Anytime I didn't feel good, she would, she was right there. Yeah. It's kids are so resilient, right? And sometimes we don't give them the credit that they deserve for being those people that really kind of support us and, and um, you know, kind of serve as our rock. So um, is she the only child that you have? Yes. Okay. Okay. Yes. So, yeah. So, you know, I imagine that at some point, you know, kind of explaining a little bit more to her um, and helping her to understand the importance of doing those self-breast exams and, you know, getting the mammogram starting at the age of 21. Um, You know, I imagine that that will be kind of a challenging conversation. Yes. Yeah. But I have written down everything in detail and then I'm going to put a book together for her. Um, So then that way she can read it, look back and read it. Yeah. Yeah. I love that idea. I love that, you know, putting all of that together and then, you know, that's something that she can hang on to for, you know, as long, you know, for forever that she has it, you know, to be able to kind of go back. And so what are, if you don't mind me asking, (laughs) um, what are some of the things that you've kind of written down? Just all my feelings through chemo. Um, uh, just, what I was feeling at that time, what I was going through, what my symptoms were, because I'm already forgetting all of that. Right. So even looking back and reading some of it now, I'm like, oh, that that happened. <laughs> so I think just I just want her to be able to when she's facing anything in her life that's difficult, that mm. she she'll be OK. Yeah, I love that. I love that so much. I think that's amazing. So outside of your daughter, I mean, you're from Eugene, Oregon, and but you live here. <laughs> um, so, you know, I don't know, do you have family here or, um, you know, what was your support system? Yeah, so my parents moved out, out here about three years ago. Okay. So they've been the ones to help me when my husband had to go to work, um, you know, so that makes sure I had somebody going to take me to radiation or take me to chemo or help with 
Trinity or pick him up, pick her up from school, stuff like that. So, right. Okay. Um, well, and that's good. And then, um, do you have any siblings or anything? I do. Um, they all reside in Oregon. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) In different states, Utah, Oregon. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So really for the most part, it was, you know, kind of mom and dad and then, um, hubby and your daughter that really kind of were the support system for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. And then I know that you, um, have made some connections online. That's kind of how you found us was through, um, Shauna Geigel. So I'm (laughs) super appreciative to her for, um, sharing this information, but, um, what, what kind of support groups, um, are you a part of and how did they, how did that help you? Yeah. So I'm, I have, I'm a part of, so Booby Buddies, I'm part of that one. Um, and then I'm a part of some IBC groups specifically, um, just because the treatment for IBC is, is different than regular breast cancer and how it goes. And so just, that's been a helpful resource. Um, And then I've just reached out to um, a lot of nonprofits um, that have helped support um, Don't Be a Chump Chuck for a Lump is a big one. Yeah. That's really helped. Um, You know, they've invited me to events and done different things, which have helped me um, emotionally and meet other survivors. And so, yeah, it's really good to just reach out to the community. Yeah. And then are there any support groups or anything down where you are um, that you've attended in person at all? No. No. Okay. (laughs) All right. Yeah. I don't, I mean, honestly, I don't know of any support groups. I mean, I I think there are some here and there, um, like Cancer Caring Center um, is one of the organizations. And, um, you know, I know that they offer some, some support groups as well. Um, But, you know, I, I feel like we're, at an age now where thing, everything's so, everything's done on, um, you know, online, we've made so many different connections through that, that I can't imagine there are many people going to traditional support groups. Right. So it's right at your fingertips, right? It's not like a scheduled day and time and you can just hop on and start chatting with people at whatever time. Yeah. So. And those events that I was invited to, I've met and maintain friendships wonderful through that so oh, good good oh so, yeah awesome so before we kind of wrap up I have um one last question for you you know what is what one piece of advice would you offer um to somebody who w- is newly diagnosed or um you know just kind of coming into this journey what what would you have to offer just Reach out to the community, um, research, um, don't be scared to ask for second opinions, advocate mm-hmm. for yourself. Um, if there's something wrong, push for it, yeah. tell you, you feel good about it. Yeah. And I, I think that's, I think that's a great uh, point to end on is really making sure that you're your own best advocate. Um, because if you are not, you know, we can't really expect that other people are going to step up and do that job for you. So those are, those are great tips. So I want to thank you so much for coming on to the podcast today and being here live in the studio. It's always nice to have people here face to face. So thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Thank you for listening to this episode of Behind the Pink Ribbon. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe. If you or anyone you know would be interested in sharing your story, 
please send an email to podcast at behindthepinkribbon.com. Thinking about advertising on this podcast? Our ads not only create awareness for your brand, but also contribute to the continued growth and support of this show. Email us today and be on our next episode. Email podcast at behindthepinkribbon.com for more information. You've been listening to Behind the Pink Ribbon, produced by American Creative Consulting, mixed and mastered at Riverview Podcasting Studios. For more information, please visit designbyacc.com.